0: Welcome to episode six.
1: I've forgotten how to do this.
0: (laughs) It's been been a week. Yeah, it's
1: been a whole week and I'm like, no, I don't know what I'm doing anymore.
0: Who am I? Who are you? You're Courtney and I'm Cloda and we are Kids Me Yesterday podcast. Naturally. talking about this week? So
1: this week we are going to talk about the Roots of Emo. Um, we've been very busy, we've both been reading a whole book. A reading a whole book. And it, well I read the whole book, Clodagh read most of the book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> between us we have read a whole book on Roots of Emo, kind of where it came from and this book was written in 2003 Yeah. Um, by a guy called Annie Greenwald and basically whenever you look up anything about emo people he's referenced all the time and it's literally because they're just aren't that many books out there yeah
0: about emo culture or where it came from So, fun fact the term emo was coined in 1985 so long before I ever thought <laughs> you were born it's not before <laughs> I even born but long before I ever thought emo was even a thing like obviously it's it's kind of I always knew it had its roots in punk rock and um the early 90s and the kind of the grunge new wave but I didn't realize it was Actually coined in 1985.
1: Yeah, and it was supposed to be, like, a derogatory term. You know, Ugh, that band is so emo. Yeah. Except the people that made it up don't know what they mean by that.
0: Nobody, does anybody know what emo means? No. Do we know what emo means? So a lot of the book was, like, the first couple of, you know, the first couple of chapters was about what emo is and where it came from obviously because the book's about emo roots and then the rest of the book was just about dashboard confessional to be honest but it, they were asking the question like what does emo mean and can anyone define what it is and nobody really can um define what emo is it's just this you, you, you get it if you get it you get it I yeah guess. no
1: I think so like I mean some of the like, I highlighted a bunch of quotes in the book because you we're reading it on Kindle not the like, way to face an actual book. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would never. But um one of the quotes was that they first encountered the term in 1985 when it was a joke, but they define emo as an unnatural attraction to the Smiths that continues after high school and mates with a love of power chords. Which kind of vague. You can get it, like you would think the Smiths were kind of emo. Oh, I yeah. I mean, like screw Morrissey and his terrible, terrible yes. opinions. But back in the day, yeah, all the sad kids loved oh, yeah. the Smiths.
0: I absolutely loved them, so
1: yeah. But there is the whole thing, which is that no one can agree on what it means. Um, There is not now, nor has there ever been a single major band that admits to being emo, not one. And I fucking love this, because how many of our bands that we love now that are like in the third wave of emo that are like, we're not emo.
0: Yeah, that's still definitely thing. And one thing we did find about reading this book in talking to each other is that there's so much foreshadowing for things that were going to happen that they didn't know were going to happen. Yeah. Now
1: there's a book we're going to talk about next week where Andy actually wrote the foreword of. And Yes. Yeah. Like maybe four or five years after he wrote um this book, have we even named the book yet?
0: No. <laughs> the book is called um. Nothing Feels Good. Punk Rock Teenagers and Emo. By Andy Greenwald. And I think it should be renamed Nothing Feels Good, Punk Rock Teenagers and Dashboard Confessional, because that's what the majority of this book is about.
1: But Andy, we still respect the work that you do. We done. do. It's we it's respect a great book. your, you know, dedication to recording a piece of history that otherwise may have been lost because there actually is nothing to else to there. To be fair. Like you yeah. did he did he did some work.
0: Um
1: Well, what people seem to think is that originally emo was a genre of hardcore punk that was less focused on politics and heavy music and more on personal politics and melody so it looked to address an issue of personal nature that were being overlooked in the extremely political punk landscape of the Reagan era so I think an overwhelming thing that we've seen kind of if you read articles about it and stuff as well is um, that people accredit punk rock and like the the strength of the movement to Ronald Reagan and his like policies and stuff because people were so fucking angry so I guess it makes sense that from that people got into bands that were talking about things that they were like within their control yeah so like a lot of punk was like fuck the establishment fuck the police fuck whatever um whereas you have people singing about like I'm really sad that this girl didn't look at me today. Yeah. That's like, you know, it's it's personal. And obviously when you're a teenager, these things are really fucking huge. They are. Um, it's the biggest thing in the world. when yeah. Someone doesn't like you back. I was talking with my friends last night. We were over... They were over for some drinks, and many drinks were had. (laughs) We were talking about Teen Diaries and how much of a big, huge deal it was to have a crush on somebody. Oh my God, Um, yeah. And my friend Danny was talking about like a crush that she'd had and like what she'd written in her diary and how like reading back in it now she can remember like how intense those feelings were and how much she believed that that was like a big thing. And I was like threatening to go. I think if I had more drinks, I would have gone in and started reading bits of my diary (laughs) because I remember and I just. Like, I remember, like, how angsty it was. And, like, I remember sitting in bed being, like, really sad, like, writing in my little diary just, you know, how my, all these, like, really intense feelings. So it makes sense that if you're feeling this and you can't talk to anybody about it, and then there's, like, a dude up on the stage... Being you know, like, you know what, I had this thing too. And yeah. You're like, well, you're cool, and girls don't like you, or you're cool, and like you're having relationship problems. Like, yeah. that's so relatable. So you can you can understand how it turned into this. Like, what we're going to talk about, like our personal politics.
0: Definitely. Like, I actually looking back into, I remember having a crush on this guy, and I was actually only talking to my friend about it the other day, and he was like a little emo kid from up the road, and she, I remember she like announced at her birthday party. I can't remember, like, her 16th birthday party that I had a crush on him. And I was ready to, like, go home, pack my bags and leave the country. But I, like, this was, like, the biggest thing in the world that could have... And it was the worst thing that could have ever happened to me as well. But then having that kind of emo... On the flip side, you have the emo music, the boys, the girls, the crushes. It is, like, a... A form of a diary for somebody like myself who has absolutely no artistic skill whatsoever. <laughs> so, the lyrics that they were write, writing and coming up with were so relatable, and even to this day, <laughs> can sometimes be so relatable. Yeah, and I feel like you don't really lose that. And even if Definitely you lose not. the actual
1: response, you can kind of imagine yourself back in that, like, oh, when I was a teenager, I would love this, or like when I was a teenager, yeah. I did feel this. And it's really cool to be able to conjure up those emotions. Um, so then they said that in two thousand two, emo is just a term used to mean poppy punk with intense fans. And like mm. that's, I mean, it's still kind of relatable. It's still yeah. If you
0: translate it to now, that's kind of what it is. It's pop punk. Kind of. There's another actual quote from the band that's or from the book that says emo means it's an internet band, which again is kind of relatable now because I feel like a lot of the emo that's the you know the third wave of emo are SoundCloud rappers and almost an insult for the likes of you know paramore and my Ken but you can see how they were considered an internet band because they had that connection online with their fans
1: yeah and i think the thing that they were saying this is an internet band was that like you go well have you heard of this band dashboard Confessional, and other kids would be like no and you're like go download the mp3 players exactly As mp3 players mp3 <laughs> files <laughs> of like napster or whatever the fuck And yeah. you I think there was, like, a quote from Chris Graber at one point from Dashboard Confessional where this is what this whole book is about. I'm really sorry. If you don't care about Dashboard, like... You will at the end of this episode. <laughs> you're going to love him the way we do. Um, But the the quote was that kids were coming up to him after his show saying, we're really sorry we didn't buy your music. And he was like, well, no, because all of you were singing along, even though you've never yeah. seen me before. And he was like, that's incredible. Um, so I think like on on that level too, like an internet band is somebody that literally you're able to find without somebody having to sh- like you know make you buy a CD or whatever. Yeah, like, kids were finding this stuff from other kids on the other side of the world, going, "Hey, have you heard this band?" Or like you know you're not relying on the cool kids in school or like your yeah. friends or your older siblings or whatever telling you listen to these people. There was an actual like place for you to find to go them. and
0: find them. And that's definitely something we we spoke about right on the pod before. Is that we would you know you'd find a band and it wasn't just a case of like on Spotify now you go on you listen to one song you'd kind of decide from there whether or not you want to keep listening whereas at least on me, when I downloaded from the Pirate Bay, don't arrest me. Um, you had to download the whole album. Yeah. And and yeah, of course there was like you know different ways you had to go around the back of the internet to get into the, the Pirate Bay. You know, I'm a hacker. Um, um, but you had to download the whole album, and you'd, at that point you were just giving it a go. Like you know, you you done all that work, you'd wait seventeen hours, you'd have the laptop on all night, you had to just listen to the whole album. So I think as well in this book they do speak about how emo is the first generation of people who like find their music online and that's something we spoke about as well how we felt we were the first generation yeah and like even in the second wave of emo to go and find music online and download it and listen to it then and there um and it's just interesting to see how so much of the stuff although we kind of knew it um it isn't something that we'd ever verbalized I guess yeah. about emo and to see that this is something that has been said already and then I guess it's just interesting to see how they had spoken about, um, wow, this is what emo's doing now. And it's just like, this was published in 2003. Like, oh my God. Like you so can only much, see yeah. what was coming.
1: And like, the funny thing is that there's so many things that were mentioned or that were yeah. brought up or like that just feel like foreshadowing because you could apply so much of it to yeah.
0: what
1: you were talking about now. So there was a quote about how um clean cut pop rockers of the type like the the naughties doesn't lie in the music at all it's in the fans so they were saying that emo isn't a genre it's far too messy and contentious for that what the term does signify is a particular relationship between a fan and a band and i love that because i'm like that is like evergreen content yeah when you're talking about emo because that's i mean talk to any kid read any tumblr post like look at any twitter account any like fan space and Mm. that's how people feel And like, you could look at somebody and be like, I don't get this, but there are like hundreds of kids who are like, this band saved my life, or these people mean the world to me, or like, this is where I go when I feel lonely, or I made all my best friends to this band. And it's like, it's, it's so pervasive. Yeah. And it was in this book as well, that there's these groups of kids who like drive around and they listen to Dashboard and The Promise Ring and that's their lives. And it's really incredibly relatable that this is something that's just
0: continued going since the word go I guess it's it's wild it is and in this as well there's a there's a the the author interviews some um dashboard confessional fans it initially through IM and then they actually go to a dashboard confessional show together and in the conversation uh the author asks you know is there anything in your life where you have recently because they were saying him which obviously the, the lyrics meant to them and so they were like is there anything give me an example of something recently that's happened where you've you know you've taken what Chris has said and you've put it into practice and one of the guys was like yeah so I like this girl for like a month and Chris was like just go and like tell her you like her so I like went and told her that I liked her and I was like oh my god this is so teenage cringe but this is exactly what emo is all
1: about yeah and that's the that's the thing like the, the... Thing it was this was on like page fucking four. They were like, it's a desire to turn a monologue into a dialogue. Yeah. And it's literally like somebody talking to you and saying, hey, if you have these feelings, you need to act on them. Or like, if you don't, this is what's gonna happen to you. You're gonna feel like me. And like, you should learn from this. And yeah, it's like it is cringy. And it's like, oh god, like I imagine you look back on that and go like, what the fuck? Yeah. And there was the whole section. There's like towards the end of the book, he kind of looks at MySpace, and he was reading people's MySpaces, and then he said he was like, this is really creepy because I'm basically reading people's diaries. He kind of reached out to people and then he said like one girl was reading um, or like talking about like three different guys that she would had all these emo feelings about and like had posted these Ashboard confessional lyrics as like her like now oh. listening and then she'd like written about like what love felt like and stuff and he was like so do you like ever regret stuff you'd you written and she was like no she's like I don't care like what's happened since I never regret my feelings and it was just like a really yeah. nice like yeah you fucking stand up for yourself you refuse to feel cringe about that Yeah, you might in like, 20 years' time, or, like, 10 yeah. years' time when you're making a podcast going, oh, God. But <laughs> the stuff I've done. <laughs> <laughs> the memories. But it's cool that that's also a freedom that this music has given people, that, like, you can't really get rid of the feelings, and, like, there is no point in feeling ashamed of
0: the things that you felt, yeah. I guess. It's very sweet. And I think, as well, like, for... I feel like I came into, like, the emo sphere... I feel like I came into like the emo sphere, the the kind of the growth of emo, kind of in the middle of where my space was kind of ending. Yeah. Almost like I never really used it. Um and I, I kind of I I knew when I was like entering into this space of I'm into emo music now, that I was entering something that was not at the start, but it wasn't at its end. It was definitely it was it was in its peak. Um but I didn't realise how much like i had thought that emo 2007 emo was emo and anything that kind of had came before that was just the music that emo had kind of stemmed from from. yeah Yeah. um and to go back and actually read this because obviously 2003 i was like what like 10 you know i know i I wasn't listening to any of this music
1: i was nine i think
0: and There's to be fair. I'm not really listening to this music now because it just doesn't really appeal to me. Obviously, there are some standout bands like Weezer and New Found Glory, Jimmy World, Use that like would kind of seep into the modern day emo that I listen to. I guess is there any modern day emo anymore? I don't know. I mean, yeah. I feel like that's a separate episode in itself. Yeah. There's
1: a lot of stuff I want to talk about there about like where it's moved to and, but I feel like that's how a lot of people who listened to all these bands in 2003, probably feel about our bands. They're probably like... Definitely. probably like, ew. <laughs> yeah. Why? That's not emo. That's the same whatever. way we
0: feel about... Like, st. cloud rappers. Yeah, or
1: like the kind of the future... Yeah, there's, and there, people keep sending me, like, emo rappers and emo, like, st- people who are just making stuff on YouTube. And they're like, you should listen to this or you should, like, figure out a way to talk about this. So I think we will, at some point, we'll make mm. an episode about, like, where emo is going because... You can't always just look back.
0: Yeah, look I forever. actually... Honestly, until a couple of weeks ago, I thought it was dead. It's not. It's not dead. Emo will never die. I... Yeah, I feel like... It's going to grow and evolve, but I don't... The same way that punk music has never actually died, there's still pop punk and different... And punk's heading into a revival right now.
1: Like, it's kind of, like, hip-hop punk, but it's definitely... Mm. Like, there's bands like Fever 333. Um, They were fucking amazing, but they're, like i don't know how to describe them like they're very much a punk band and like because their whole thing is like fuck the police fuck all this stuff but it's from the point of view of like um like a mixed-race guy and like there's like another black guy in the band and it's like the violence that they've like encountered and like the poverty that they've encountered because of their race and stuff and it's like it's american-centric but they're bringing like all their shows are called demonstrations yeah, And, like, they bring this, like, message of, like, you have the power to stop this. But, like, in the shows, Jason, the singer, he, like, does a whole thing where he's, like, you know, we're not going to accept uh, misogyny. We're not going to accept this shit. Like, women are really important. And, like, we need to start, like, treating each other. And, like, it's it's really cool because he could just stop at, like, Black Lives Matter. Yes. And that would still be incredibly powerful. Yes, But, like, he's taking all of this energy and trying to, like, I mean, like, that's the thing about punk is, like, a lot of people laugh those shows not knowing what to do with that. Like, everybody got, yeah, everybody got really riled up. Like, yeah, screw this, you know, fuck the establishment. <laughs> and then they leave and then they're like, but what is it you want me to, <laughs> to do? do. <laughs> yeah. Whereas I feel like now, you know, we still need punk and people are still angry and they need somewhere yeah, to go where they definitely. can go and, like, punch the head off each other in a mosh pit. But like, I, th- I feel like we're moving towards, like, actually having some sort of actionable thing that people can do when they're at these shows, which is cool. But I, I do see definitely there's going to be like another fucking revival where people yeah. just kind of talk about the stuff that they need and what they need to do and what you can do. Like Fever's thing as well is like when you come, if you come early, they like have like a food drive and I think they give you like, I don't know they have like oh, a, cool. a wristband or something, but they're like bringing like non-perishable food. Like I know Warp Tour did that every year, like every stop and like you get to get in early if you brought like five items That were non perishable, but like Fever do this in every single place that they go to, which I think is really cool. Um, They have a name for the organization, but they've set up like a a trust basically. That's actually incredible. Yeah. And like that's where I can see it going. But like if you ask people, they'd be like, Punk is dead. And like you would have asked us, is emo dead? And I feel like, you know, the last couple of years, there's been so many articles saying like, you know, emo's dead and it's not coming back. And we know in our hearts that my cam will get back together
0: one day. <laughs> yeah, we've done a 180 on this. Yeah, we're like,
1: it's never gonna happen. And now I'm like, I need it to happen yeah.
0: with my whole body. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna be on emergency standby. When you see emergency episode kids and yesterday, you know that my camera.
1: It'll happen. It won't happen. I really I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it.
0: But it's interesting to see how like I would never have listened to any of these bands that we're talking about now. Like Dashboard, brand new Thursday. Hawthorne Heights, I never would have listened to them initially when I was going through. No, I won't say when I was going through my emo, emo phase because I'm still like, going through it. Going through emo puberty. When I was going through my, you know, the, during the emo peak, I'm going to say. Um, and it's interesting to see how the bands that I loved at that time had cited bands like, for example, Paramore, our faves, uh, Haley Williams had cited like Thursday, Jimmy Eat World, Weezer as like some of her favourite bands. And although I never listened to that music, I always thought they were kind of just punk, but it's yeah. just, it's interesting to see how they took that emo inspiration, made their own emo band, like on the emo bands that are coming up now or the emo rappers, for for example, um, Lil Peep had cited, you know, Blink-182, Paramore, whoever else as their favourites. And that's something that's always interested to me to see how my favourite bands then, how they influenced, um, the artists of now
1: yeah and like I guess that's not really a thing you think about when you're no you don't younger. well I had no you know you never think about that it's like anything like if I think about books I'm always really surprised that an author I really like is like I love this other author yeah and I'm like oh my god you read too like yeah. obviously they do and like obviously these bands we love have got people that they're really interested in. yeah but you have these stories of like kids who are like in bands now mm. that were like I got up on stage with Green Day or I got up on stage with yes. Time Low or I got to sing with whoever and now I'm in a band and that like that's really cool because you're like that's, that's such an interesting connection yeah. but this has been going back like yeah forever and like all these punk bands like they say I mean there was a thing I read and it was like the joke was that emo started the second Minor Threat broke up yeah but all those kids who loved Minor Threat and they loved Jawbreaker that's where it all stemmed from so then what andy reckons is that sunny day real estate was the start um and like we've listened we've made a playlist here if you've heard it you may not we have all our playlists up on spotify we think up every thursday so (laughs) you could listen to those if you want to but um we put up a whole playlist of all the bands that Andy well not all of them many of of them many mentioned in the in the book and that generally are are deemed to be like the founding fathers of emo um and there's like one really good Sunny Day Real Estate song. So there's like a couple of those bands that I could see myself having listened to, yeah. If I were, listen like old like this age now, back then, yes, I probably would have listened to Sunny Day and I probably would have listened to The Promise Ring. I yeah. think. Um, but that's what he talks about. Like The Promise Ring and Sunny Day Real Estate were kind of the, the openers for a lot of these people, and that's you know like Chris Graber from Dashboard was. A fan of these people as yes. well, and like to Andy Chris was like peak emo. Yeah, um, and it's a lot of his like his stuff is interesting because he does a lot of acoustic stuff. Yeah, and when you're reading all the pages, like he kind of goes into all this stuff about like he went out on tour with Chris to like a bunch of different dashboard dates. Um, so he'd watch him perform and then he'd hang out in the the bus with him afterwards, mm-hmm. and they'd kind of travel around America like talking to Chris and getting interviews and sound bites and just kind of learning about what emo is pretty much um and chris is like everything that i thought about pete wentz back in the day as well it's like he's holding Mm -hmm. this incredible sadness in him and he's you know the most important thing to him is like the fans and there was all these like stories about him like fighting bouncers and stuff for being rude to kids and like freaking out and like saying like no this is so important to me like I've been kicked out of a venue because of how people are treating my fans and like you cannot do that to these kids they're so important to me um which I thought was wild I honestly didn't think anybody gave a shit that much yeah. at all but like apparently he was like he kept like everything people gave him so if they wrote him stuff or if they gave him things he'd keep them and he's like well it's you know this means something to me that's very sweet like it was really sweet but it was like what all the things that we talked about in that episode we talked about pete wentz like being a fucking icon for mental health yeah. stuff like chris was also that kind of sad mm. guy who was like keeping himself in this really unhealthy mindset just so that people didn't feel alone which i thought was really beautiful yeah um, but also really unhealthy. Like, don't do that. No. <laughs> please please don't do that for anybody. That's 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 really detrimental. Um, But, like, Andy's descriptions of how, like, you know, Chris would be fine, he'd be fine, and he'd go out on stage, and it'd be like, he, like, uncorked all his feelings, and he'd pour them all out, and then he'd get off stage, and he'd bottle them all up again. And it was yeah. like he was just constantly, like, letting off steam every night where he was trying to get in the headspace. And then he said something about, like, some of the songs that kind of get him to that place of sadness. He couldn't... Like if he was happy that day, he couldn't access that space and that really scared him. And I just can't imagine That's being,
0: really interesting.
1: I can't imagine being in that sort of place. I mean like I know that's like a creative thing that people yeah, talk about. Definitely. And like further generations of musicians have talked about this and like writers do it and people who make any kind of art mm-hmm. say kind of like, Well, when I'm sad that's when I crave the best, and then when I'm happy I can't do that. When that's not true. Like you don't have to suffer for your art. But
0: it's amazing to me that this is such a pervasive thing in emo music. Definitely, um, I can see how, like, I know myself as well. Like, I when I write, I go through different spaces, and it's like it's, it's like a it's like a massive wave. And sometimes I'm in a good mood and I can do it. And Sometimes I'm in a bad mood and I can't, and whatever, and you know, sadness, happiness, all those kind of different things. And I I can see how that he could get into that space yeah. for sure like i've done it myself yeah. like
1: i've believed for a really long time that i had to be unhappy yeah to write like I, you know if i go through like a period of depression i'm like clearly i just need to write something yeah. <laughs> and i need to not feel happy whereas i've taught myself over over the years like that's that's not okay and yeah. i can write at any time now i just have to be like inspired as opposed to actually
0: feeling feeling sad. sad or like
1: feeling like I need to feel a certain way to write something yeah um, and I think that's about like a fear of accessing emotions or not being able to access emotions um like I think there's a whole probably a a whole psychology episode we could do 100%. about like
0: how people think in that way um I just did think that was really really interesting that's definitely a point for science which another thing um that's in this amazing book there was a whole chapter on Weezer yes uh, the chapter's called The Curious Case of Weezer. It's about um how what a kind of a, a literally the qu- a quote, um, mop-top a speckled dork named Rivers Cuomo was climbing the charts with a song about his favourite sweater. Um, so Weezer broke big in 1994. Um, the year I was born. The year you were born. And I, I never really thought of Weezer as an emo band until recently. And obviously bands like Paramore, uh-huh. Shock. Um, they cited Weezer as one of their favorites, and I always seen them on you know festival bills and stuff like that around, you know, uh, festivals that would obviously have emo bands playing at them, Reading and Leeds, Vans Warped whatever. Um, but it's interesting to see how he like the 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 chapter itself is called the Curious Case of Weezer, and I actually consumed this in like I just like oh my god I was just shocked by what I had read in a way which is why I haven't highlighted anything from that chapter um it basically goes on to talk about so there was it their first album Pinkerton yeah so Pinkerton basically how it was he's just ashamed of it and ashamed of the feelings that he was having and that was something that Courtney you're talking about and how you shouldn't be
1: yeah, I mean, like, if we go back to what we were saying a few minutes ago about, like, there is no point in you feeling embarrassment, but the whole quote from it was that he refused to play any of the album's songs in the reunion tour because he dismissed Pinkerton as ugly and embarrassing. And mm. it, like, obviously, you know, I feel like at some point people can move on from, like, an aesthetic they don't like. We've talked before about bands refusing to play songs that they feel haven't aged well um, on yeah. tour anymore and, like, that's totally valid, but it was like he just couldn't stand the idea of Lots of people hearing his feelings, yeah, um, and relating to them. Like I don't know, I don't know what he was thinking would happen. Like when you release songs into the world, like they yeah. they become they they're owned by the people that hear them. I yes. guess, um, and maybe he just didn't feel like they were the things he wanted to say anymore. But um, yeah, I just thought it was really interesting
0: that he just, yeah, and he couldn't cope with it. Really, it's apparently as well Green Day own the masters for Pinkerton? Yeah. Which is bizarre. It's really weird how
1: many times Billy Joe is mentioned in that book as well. Like he's always hanging around like the eve, But there's like... no
0: actual chapter on Green Day.
1: No, and it was because he just didn't consider Green Day to be like cuz Green Day are kind of punk. So They are
0: kind of punk, but I guess the I think the American Idiot album was like emo. Yeah, but like it definitely twenty four century. Yet. Yet. It hadn't happened yet. This is it.
1: Yeah, like it literally like they maybe if this book was written a few years later. If only they'd known. If only. But it is wild that, like, Billy Doe kept being mentioned and, like, he was always there in the eaves, like, hanging out with all these bands and stuff. Like, these are people that he was hanging around.
0: Like, this book came out only three years before American Idiot. Yeah. And
1: three oh years my before My camp Oh my and God. four years before Panic of the
0: Disco. I'm looking at that in kind of context. So, what was three years ago? 2016. Yeah. Like, I think when we look back and we look back on, Like when I look back on kind of emo and whatever, it's, I always thought like some 41, their music was released, you know, probably early, early 2000s. And I was listening to them in the late and I was like, oh God, these songs are ancient. And looking back, it's like, oh, five years. That's not actually that long ago. (laughs) Like
1: most of my favorite songs were written in 2007. So yeah, and we're now living in 2019. 12 years later. Yeah wow (laughs) i refuse to grow up it's no it's it's wild one of the other chapters i really liked was the one about who are the emo kids yeah um and i loved this again because a lot of stuff in it is kind of salient for today Mm -hmm. um and so they said that emo is inherently inclusive um they talked about how like with the internet teenagers had the ultimate emo tool so they could trade access and share music ideas news feelings and support and like i feel like that's kind of how the internet has evolved now Mm -hmm. this book was written before twitter like it's before the landscape of how music and yeah like before all of these things that are inherently seen as like emo so there was no myspace there was nothing there was like forums and stuff um and that's how people shared stuff so there were little like websites called like emo.com and so don't go on emo.com
0: that is not what it is anymore (laughs) do not
1: look up emo.com please that has been a you know we're all gonna look it up (laughs) well enjoy your emo
0: porn um really i've made that mistake before there is okay so we're we're definitely gonna do an episode on emo culture is there a genre of emo porn yes claudia oh my god (laughs) yeah darling my poor sweet
1: sweet sweet child Oh, I'm shocked. <laughs> She's actually, like, I feel like I've just hurt her in some way. Goth porn. Yeah, no, this is like, oh, no, we'll, we'll talk about this when we do our, our <gasps> um, emo culture.
0: I know what I'm doing later. <laughs> You're in my house, though. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, don't. That's a PSI. Do not go on emo.com. Thank you. But there were websites similar to this. I'm shocked. I still can't get over this. <laughs>
0: The converse stay on. <laughs> god.
1: <laughs> oh my god. Well, there were websites like emo.com, but aren't emo.com, uh, called, like, uk, and it was just, like, forums where people talk about their favourite bands, and, like, um, it was, like, a oh. whole thing where people would put up, like, photos of themselves, and it was, like, early emo dating.
0: So you put oh. a picture of
1: yourself, and, like... It's like, like this particular website, so emo.com, they, they have, like, emo guys, and it's, like, photos of dudes, and...
0: Wow. Like that's I the, feel like I've seen every single one of these photos at some point before.
1: It's just a sea of guys with, like, all their hair is the same, yeah. and they're all from the same angle. But they just take emo photos, and then they put up their, their names, and you could rate them, which I think is really terrible. Don't do that to people. Thank you. What it was, like, early, like, Tinder, I guess, but just for emos... Um, they talked about how emo was once a subculture dominated by regionality and I think that was really important as well that like they kind of associated emo with being like you know east coast kids like this music and west coast kids like this and it was all like very much Mm. where you came from is where the kind of music you listen to we don't have that problem anymore like if a tiny Japanese band wants to like start playing music like you'll hear about it from somebody or you'll see it somewhere or it'll appear in an ad for you or whatever like you don't have that problem anymore Mm -hmm. um so they said it's now something completely new and unexplored it's a national subculture dominated and defined by those too young to have their voices heard but savvy enough to make their presence felt and i feel like that is still relevant that is still very much a thing. Like you think about who goes to those shows. Like there's yeah. us, the aging emo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> geriatric crowd who hang out in like the balcony or the bar. And then like you still have all these like 15, 16 year olds who are there to just Front row. Yeah, but they're there to like be be heard and be yeah. seen. And I think that's really cool.
0: That's still a thing. Um one of my favourite lines in that in that um chapter of who are the emo kids is teenagers were given eyeballs so they could roll them. <laughs> <laughs> and they were given towns and schools and lives so they could complain about them. I was like, oh my god, this is so perfectly emo. But
1: like, that's the whole meme, isn't it? It's like, you know, I hate this town. Like, I hate, I hate this, this town. It. town it's so washed So washed up. I mean, my yeah. <laughs> don't give a fuck. And um, the idea that like, oh, I hate my hometown, or like, I, I hate, like, I hate everybody here, and I don't want to live here anymore. Yeah. Like, that that is pinnacle of emo i think yeah that is the that's the joke the running joke do you like do you like emo music are you
0: pop punk do you hate your hometown (laughs) as well there is a piece in this book that talks about 17 magazine uh running a two-page pull-out spread double as an emo how-to guide so detailing how girls should wear vintage clothes um guys should wear v-neck sweaters coppers of art arty books such as salinger um, and that's again like looking back at that, that's kind of like a wheezer, yeah, I guess, look of emo because definitely it wouldn't be uh vintage clothes and berets and stuff like that now or even in 2007 if you were to write a, a how to emo guide, which I'm sure exists. I'm sure that was definitely a thing in Kiss magazine at one point. So there was another bit where they talked
1: about like Jimmy Eat world and. Um, I shamefully never realized there was a guy in Jimmy Eat World called Jim. I didn't know that either until we were that, this book. Is, <laughs> Um, so there the, he said that there's always a faction of people that want to have their favorite band in a little box in the basement where it's theirs and no one else's. Yeah. Um, and you can see that too. Like when, oh, you, yeah. yeah, like even now you hear like, like the many people who are really upset by Panic at the Disco being in the charts or like doing a, like I say Panic at the Disco brendan doing a song with taylor swift and stuff like the amount of like backlash that got where it's like we fucking sold out and that is still a thing like mark Hoppus and alex gaskarth started a side a side piece Mm -hmm. a side piece and the amount like all the people under alex gaskarth's post about it are like oh my god i love this this is so cool you're so great and all the people under mark Hoppus's thing is like how could you is there any further way you could sell out this is so shit what's wrong with you like this is not the band i love and stuff so there is still that, like, real protective thing of, like, some people want things to be theirs and some people are okay with it, but I feel like, at, the, at its core, the kids who love your music, just, they, that's theirs. And I suppose if you feel alone a lot, or you feel like there aren't many people that understand mm. you, and this band comes along, and it does, yeah, and then suddenly, like, the people who didn't get you are like, I love this band. Yes. I imagine, like, it, I can remember feeling really shitty about that, like, but, like, Sudden, I listened to yeah. this because you didn't understand me or because you made me feel shit and now you're taking this thing that's mine. From me? Yeah. yeah.
0: It's like when, you know, the people in school are all of a sudden, oh, Paramore gigs or my chem gigs or whatever and you're like, but that's my thing. <laughs> I loved this. Yeah.
1: One of my other favourite chapters from the whole book was Sad Girl Stories, Women and Emo. Yes. And if you've listened to our episode on Misogyny, that was episode four. Yeah. Um, we talked a lot about, like, how exclusionary the whole genre is to women yes um so they talked here they talked a lot to jessica hopper about how the monotony of the label's gender perspective can be overwhelming and it was very much like an all dude yeah thing um and like the concept of gender and like stuff is quite outdated like we've moved on like one of the good things about emo now is we've moved on an awful lot oh, in yeah. terms of like sexuality and gender and stuff which is great so they talked to a guy from newfound glory and said that no girl has ever come up to us and said hey you guys we want to say what we have to say with our own songs um our songs about relationships but anyone can relate to it even though we might say girl in the song girls come up to us and say that they've had the same problems with their boyfriends and put it into their own perspective and that was a quote later on they had an actual teenage girl say that oh well even though they're saying she i yeah. just changed it in my head to he
0: which is something i feel like i did a lot as well yeah but that's out of lack of visibility of women in emo yeah. and the w- the female perspective Yeah. but there's another p- part of the book where the dashboard confessional fans are saying oh women don't get emo music because it's not for them it's about them like f- they can go listen to fiona apple or whatever yeah
1: and like fiona <sighs> apple if you've never heard of her i think paper bag is like one of her f- most famous songs but she's kind of like compared to tori emos and um, and that's and that's more more sad. Sad. yeah. so I mean she's cool but she's not emo no uh, I, I do remember listening to her a little bit when I was probably a teenager as well but I just didn't feel that connection yeah like the stuff that I wanted people to sing about that related to my experiences were the stuff that these dudes were singing about and there just weren't any girls at the time and even still now really yeah that were doing that so I do want to at some point we're going to do an episode where we talk about all the girls that are in the scene now mm-hmm and then have been in the scene in general, so we want to do like a whole episode where we talk about what there is out there and what they are singing about because I feel like that kind of gets overlooked too that they're yeah. not really in magazines and stuff. Or if they're like, well, we, we featured Hey Violet, so why would we do anything else? Yeah, um, so there is kind of that too, a little bit, but this was a really cool chapter to read. Um, did you have anything else from the chapter? That yeah,
0: I think that. Again, that chapter was really interesting in the sense that it was kind of saying everything that we had thought. And it's interesting again to see how this was 2003 emo, whereas we were more so speaking about 2007 emo the peak. One of my favorite parts of that chapter uh, is a quote that says, I think a girl emo band is far overdue. And I was just screaming at the book. I was like, oh my God, you have no idea what's to come. Um, I was just thinking about Paramore and Hey Monday and tonight alive and all these other bands i guess paramore being the most how many times do we mention paramore honestly take a shot every time we say paramore we're just
1: gonna we're just gonna we're gonna do that yeah
0: (laughs) and as well as that the book kind of talks about how like the women are making do with changing it from he to she or whatever in their head um but there's also i guess the the thing that the men are like, oh no, this is not, you know, not for women. Uh, we wouldn't understand a woman's perspective as she was to sing because they don't have to make do the way that we do. Because... Yeah, and I
1: feel like that's in so many things. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's art, if it's books, if it's films, people yeah. are like, well, I can't relate to female experiences. And you're like, dude, we had to do this our whole lives. Yeah. Our whole lives is us having to find men funny or find them interesting or find their experiences yeah like relevant to ours because there were none and then things that are for women like chick lit or like like you know chick flicks or like all-girl bands are kind of like looked down upon it's like oh you're just like feminist bullshit or whatever and it's because it's like that's for women and that's for me and people don't make the effort to yeah to try hear it and then yeah I mean we're we're kind of delving back into that same episode that we did yeah a few weeks ago but it is really interesting that this has been such a pervasive part of it. Yeah. And it's all because it came straight out of punk. And yeah. straight out of a scene that was very male-dominated. Um, and it's just interesting to see that this is like things that we were talking about as a present-day thing. Yeah.
0: we um, were there in the past, too. It does say as well that the Jessica Hopper, again, who's somebody who's written a lot about um, emo music and, I guess, misogyny in emo music, she says that ever since emo music was structured of, poli- of its politics. It keeps women on a pedestal or on our backs. It regulates us to the role of a muse or a heartbreaker, an object of either misery or desire. Emo just builds up with the cathedral of main pain and then celebrates its validation, which I was reading this. I was like, oh my God, this is, that was like, that sentence is the synopsis of that entire episode we done. Yeah, It's literally like we are on a pedestal and we are a muse and we are amazing or we're that bitch who won't sleep with you.
1: Yeah. Like that, I found the quote from the kid that they were talking to, That the Dashboard. I mean, these were actual kids. These were, like, 15, 16, and 17-year-olds. Yeah. Like, you know, they hung around together. They all liked these bands together. They went out driving in their cars in the evening, and then they went to shows, and they, like, really respected Chris, and they thought he was amazing, and, like, they were real, like, just, like protective over Dashboard, mm-hmm. and it was, like, nice that, like, four guys were connecting in this emotional way. Yeah. When they're that age, when... Like, I mean, you could say a lot about, like, oh how that's only changed in the last couple of years, that it's actually okay for, for guys to do that, because it was frowned upon, and they were, like, seen as not conforming, basically, but one of them said, not to be sexist, but in a way, you want to have companionship in music, the bond between another male that you can relate to. I don't think it could be such a strong connection if it was a girl, and it's just, like oh man we'll go fuck ourselves though (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's just you know it's it's hard hearing that and seeing it and going like this was such a needed movement like kids needed this people needed to hear their feelings be reflected back to them and it it's it's hard to read that now and go like people still think like this and people still act like this when it comes to music and that still like is very slowly changing yeah we're years behind where we should be in terms of like Definitely. gender quality and gender understanding and like comprehension of everything beyond a binary basically yeah. and it's horrible to read it and know that that's the same thing that people think now
0: yeah it's m- like looking back it's kind of bizarre to think that we are like i was listening to these songs and i was relating to them and there was that whole idea of you know them versus us, that kind of internal internalizing misogyny, um. And you're you're listening to these songs, and I don't really obviously listening to music like that now. I can see the problem, but I couldn't then. And even in two thousand and three, again, can't believe this book was written in two thousand and three, um. When this is written, and they were talking about you know perhaps there'll be a new generation of emo fans, and they'll form their own bands, and they'll be able to female voice a wave of heartbreak songs um and again that kind of did happen in the peak but yeah. again we still weren't up to scratch on inclusion
1: yeah pretty much i feel like my favorite quote like you had your favorite quote earlier with like could have encapsulated our entire episode but my favorite quote from this whole thing was you referred to emo and like the, the like going to see bands play As a fantastical teenage Twilight, yeah, and you're like it. it was. It was like this. This you can picture this sort of like moment in time, nearly of you know going to a gig or like you know going into town to go see a band, and it's kind of getting dark and it's kind of cold, and you know that you have to stand out there in the cold, and you're like, do I bring a hoodie? Do I just freeze to death that I don't like melt inside? Um, or like any of the tiny shows you've seen, like people play, it's. It does kind of sum it up really nicely. This this like perfect moment in that age when people needed this music. Uh, yeah, I, I love that. I think that summed it up really nicely that that is kind of the roots of emo is in this thing that is kind of magical, kind of untouchable, but still has real world implications. Yeah, I
0: guess definitely. I think it's beautiful as well that it's something that was so, which was the, I guess the core part of it, and uh, then. And then it was for us. And then like, even again now going into, you know, young kids finding bands and music that they really enjoy and kind of finding that fandom and and just throwing themselves into it and enjoying what the artists have to say.
1: Yeah. I mean fandom studies are something I'm really interested in. That's what I did my thesis on. Do you have a degree in psychology? I I have a degree in psychology <laughs> actually. That's that's my, my biggest regret from episode one is saying that. But I am... Um, did a lot of kind of delving into the roots of fandom and I i really wish i'd read this book back then because the way fandoms were structured back then is the same as how they're structured now it's just a different landscape yeah like there was all these like hardcore fans who were like we go to all the shows this is our band we're basically in the fan club or whatever but like at the time you could literally write to whoever and they'd write back yeah and that was different to how it is now but like I, I love it. I love the idea that fandom has evolved so little but so much in such a, like, a small space of time mm. but the core of it is still there. That root is still there that it's all about like, this thing speaks to you and you discover them and they are yours and other people are just borrowing them from you.
0: That's it. And I, can, I definitely see that in the sense of I was thinking I could never imagine how like an like a, an author, like let's say the two of us were like, hey, my chemical romance, can we come on tour with you because we want to interview you and like just follow you around and stuff like that. Free never You know yourself, never, never say, say never. never. But I couldn't imagine that happening. Whereas it's so like I can definitely believe that he like went on tour with Dashboard Confessional, yeah. went to all those shows, but I just couldn't see that happening now.
1: Yeah, no, I mean there is a book coming out soon. Um, we're gonna try like get in touch with her and talk to her about it. But I found it. When I was looking just for other books on it, it's called From the Basement: A History of emo Music and How It Changed Society, and um, it's from Taylor Markarian, and it's coming at the end of this year. So we're gonna we're gonna see if we can talk to her about this. But it looks like she's gonna have a bunch of interviews, um, with people that she's done herself, and like it doesn't say who these people are. And I'd be really interested to see yeah, if I'm she did get like people like Jared or Brandon, or if she's going back further. Like if it's you're looking at dashboard, brand new yeah um the used jamie world like are these the people you're talking to so i'm i'm really excited to see more about this like i think she's still writing it at the moment which is really cool as well so we're kind of like what's happening (laughs) and but it's it's also i found this while i was kind of bitching about the fact that there aren't many books on emo so i was really glad to see that well no we're, we're still talking about it yeah emo is not dead as long as we still keep writing about it and talking about it
0: that's it. And like you were saying earlier to me, off, off-pod, that this book itself kind of captures the history of, I guess, the roots and where that came from. And it's, it's, it's really great that we have this. And we were just thinking, oh, okay, well, how are we going to capture the history of 2007 Peaky And I guess, in a way, we're doing that through this podcast. Yeah, it's very meta. <laughs> yeah, we're we capturing well, history. We <laughs> but I guess it's good that perhaps this book will, you know, capture... piece of peak emo history for us as well
1: i think the final thing that i loved about this book is that i get the sense that he believed on in some level that this was emo and that's the end of it that whatever was going to come from it was going to be an evolution of it but he was talking about emo as it was yeah and i don't know if you've seen the video there's like a, a short video of pete wentz talking through like a megaphone saying like emo is dead go home or emo's over go home and it was like 2005 and it's like it's
0: It's just not, it's just not. It was just getting, really getting started, I think, in 2005, which is interesting. 2005, in 2006, you had the beginnings of Paramore, you had the beginnings of My Ham. like like these bands that were so, you know, iconic to us as emo bands.
1: Yeah. We're just getting started. We are just getting started
0: so that's all we have for you this week um if you'd like to find us on the interwebs you can get us on instagram we're at kids from pod uh we're on twitter at kids from uh we're on tumblr as well i believe
1: yeah we're uh kids from we're also on emo.com we're not <laughs> no. we we have looked that up since we mentioned it earlier we took a took a tiny break to check and it, it's not it, there's nothing there so you can you can look it up all you want feel free to maybe look up. don't Google it but you can actually go on the website yeah
0: and of no course either. if you do like our podcast give us a subscribe on the Apple podcasts you can find us on Spotify stitcher all your favorite places and uh, maybe leave us a little review I That'd think you great. can do a new I think you can like leave a five star. Just the five-star review with without every new anything. episode yeah, and oh, okay. without writing anything. So just...
1: If you just felt like that. I mean, it's really cool. We've actually seen that we've been in, like, new and noteworthy for yeah. the last while. We actually got on the charts the other week, which yeah. is incredible. Like, who is listening? <laughs> I mean, you guys are. But it's it's really wild to me that this thing that we're doing, coming to you live from A Dark Basement, yeah. is... Um, people are listening yeah people are listening so that's really cool so if if that's something that you feel like you want to do with your time if you want to reach out to us you can also contact us at yesterdaypod at gmail.com if you have any thoughts maybe maybe you were on emo.com I don't know yeah <laughs> if you were ever featured on emo.com and you want to talk about your experiences there
0: get in touch, get in touch and we will talk to you next week oh.
1: Michael's currently editing this episode, and he has reliably informed us that a lot of the shit we said about Weezer <laughs> is wrong. So, um, to start with, Pinkerton is not Weezer's first album, Blue Album, 1994. That is the first one. Yeah. So he was like, "What is wrong with you?" And second of all, Claudia, do you want to tell? Do you want to tell the people?
0: <laughs> okay. So I said that um, Green Day owned the Masters. I don't think <laughs> I can. I can bring myself to say this. I said that Green Day owned the Masters, Pinkerton what the book says is that they bought the
1: album so they didn't buy the masters they went to a shop
0: and they bought the album
1: the way everybody else, the CD. Did. The way everyone else
0: did and I just you know read it and was like oh because you know the green they have money so I was like obviously they bought the masters and then this whole thing with Taylor Swift her masters being b- bought recently that like validated in my head as like a thing that happens so no they just bought the CD
1: Uh, yeah we Michael told us that he wasn't gonna like finish the episode until we corrected that misinformation so we're very sorry if you were listening and you got really mad at us for um being wrong I don't like to admit that I'm wrong but here we are
0: here we are we don't want Green Day getting squatters rights on that those (laughs) masters either
1: I mean maybe it's an idea maybe Green Day should buy the masters maybe they should